Legal. Let's go. Get that money. Get that money. Welcome back to another episode of the Double Up Podcast with Gene, aka the Real Estate Guy, and B Rob, aka the Infamous CPA. This is the podcast about finance, real estate, investing, and personal and professional development. Now it's time to double up. Double up. Get ready for episode 19 with six-figure YouTube earner, real estate investor, and consultant, Erica Williams. Yo, welcome back to another episode of the Double Up Podcast. It's Gene, also known as the Real Estate Guy. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at underscore, underscore, Mr. Marshall. Yo, what's good, family? It's B-Rob, a.k.a. the infamous CPA. Thank you for rocking with us. This is episode 19 of the Double Up Podcast. Super excited to be back and active and looking to, you know, drop some gems this episode. We have a special guest, which we're going to get into a little bit later. Um, it's gonna be a really dope interview, but you know how we always started. What's good, bro? How did you double up this past week? How did I double up this past week? Man, if you're in the real estate space in Chicago, you know, man, how these inspectors can be, especially when you got a property that had pre pre existing violations. Uh, but nevertheless, man, I passed all of my inspections and have no hiccups. Let's my go. Passed, my plumbing passed. Man, so hell, I- I'm just glad to be moving on to phase two of this project. Let's get it, man. That's dope. That's dope. How about you? Man, so uh, for those who don't know and didn't see on Instagram, so I'm under contract um, for a duplex. It's going to be a full gut in the South Shore neighborhood of Chicago. So I'm super excited about that. Um, so I've, I haven't done the full gut yet. So definitely excited to learn, you know, basically the full process from A to Z. Um, and this is, this is very similar to yours. Like it's plaster on the walls. Like literally we're going to be replacing everything, plumbing, electrical, HVAC, adding central air. We even got to cut down the tree. So I can't wait to cut down the tree. Like it's like, I'm like a kid in the candy store over here. So, um, yeah, really just that still been going really strong on the courses. I'm out, I'm at about 13 K for the month, but trying to get my numbers up, trying to reach that next level. So I'm trying some new things. I'm about to get into Facebook ads. Um, and I'm about to get a little bit more consistent with using influencers as well to kind of boost my reach and my sales. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. How'd you guys, uh, find a property? So we just found it through the MLS. So for those who don't know, like Chicago's multifamily market is crazy, crazy competitive right now. Um, and like literally we knew it was, all, it was automatically going to be a, multi, a multiple offer situation anytime a decent property comes up in a, a neighborhood like South Shore where you can add some value to it. So we offered a little bit above asking and luckily we got it. So I'm happy about it. And I'm, I'm really ready to get the ball rolling. We're meeting with contractors this weekend to get some estimates. So after that, we select the contractor, and then it's just closing from there and getting ready to start the project. So there we go. Do you, I hope you got Tylenol and ibuprofen ready. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it should be pretty good. I mean, I know it's going to be some hiccups along the way, but what I'm really excited about this go around is that since I'm a full time entrepreneur, I can be on site every day. Um, at least, you know, stopping in just to make sure work is being done. I can do a much better job at project managing than last time when, you know, when I was working, you know, 70, 80 hours while still trying to manage the project. 
um, and manage the contractor. So that's what I'm, I'm really looking forward to. I feel like I really, I can perform to the best of my abilities this time instead of just going through the motions. Plus I got, you know, the knowledge from the first experience too. So that's going to pay a lot of dividends too. Let's do so, this thing. Let's, let's get into the boy. interview. So like we mentioned, we got a, we got a super special guest Erica Williams from the Classy Client blog. She is a six-figure YouTube earner with over 3 million views. She has a real estate investment group with over nine properties. Probably a little bit more now. Uh, correct me if you know, I'm you wrong. Know, you know, they be watching. They be listening. You know, yeah, hold on a minute. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> and she also has... She also invests in the trucking industry. So she currently owns 12 semi-trucks and she does all of this while traveling all over the country. Maybe it's not so much while COVID is going on, but Erica, welcome to the show. We super Woo-hoo! excited to have you. Hello, hello. Listen, you know, um, I tried to get into the Chicago market, but I got to tell you why. See, my grandpa has like 22 rentals left. Okay. He's still up there. We try to like, you know, keep his privacy or whatever. Um, and it's fascinating what you talked about. Them inspectors, man, when we start talking about... We- we go pink and we're like, oh, grandpa, let's just sell it. Let's just, woo, we got the, you got some handyman came in here and worked on some of these. Like, man, they crazy. Chicago's like, gonna hit us with the wooly hoop. Uh, we gonna let these go. <laughs> no. Y'all do have a very interesting market. Uh, every time I come, I'm always surprised. Like, I just see a lot of opportunity for people, but then I also see like high unemployment in certain sectors. It's very mm-hmm. interesting to me. Yeah, definitely is. Like, even in these contract concentrated areas on the south side of Chicago, you have very high rising prices in these neighborhoods. But you know, blocks away is it might be poverty stricken. So Chicago is really block by block. That's what makes yeah. it really interesting. Like, you have one very good block. And the prices will reflect that. But if you go, you know, two blocks in the wrong direction, you end up in a much different area um, with a very, with a higher, I mean, with a lower level of ARVs. So you definitely got to be careful with that for sure. You know, the best thing about, uh, there's a thing, a project I'm working on. I like trying to get historic pictures from like 1960s and 70s of black people in certain urban cities. Mm -hmm. Man, when I try to go online about a month for Chicago, they don't be cheap. (laughs) But it's beautiful. You just see the people, the areas, the yards. Um, A lot of these cities have just have such history that it's, you know, it might get lost if we don't keep it up with it. So yeah, for sure, for sure. So for those that don't know you, can you reintroduce yourself in your own words and just talk us through how you doubled up during your journey to become the woman you are today? Awesome. Hey everybody, it's Sugar Erica from the Classy Climb blog, author of the Smartphone Millionaire, How to Invest in People, Businesses, and Real Estate from the Palm of Your Hand. Why do I write that? Because I actually was doing it. Um, I I had a, a brick and mortar business coffee shop out in North Carolina. It closed. It was across from a historically black college. It was lit. I had a good time. Um, and when I closed, I flipped a coin. I literally flipped a coin. I said, I'm going to go to Nashville, Tennessee. I'm going to go to Austin, Texas. And it's been the best coin toss ever, right? So I got here and first things first, I was working as an apartment manager and I'm like, ooh, it's so hot. I don't ever want to do this again. And so I'm starting to read and educate myself on where to invest my money. I started buying lending club notes because I was like, hey, $25? I'm just buying them up, right? I ended up having like 600 notes. I was like stuck. And uh, I had a guy, we worked at an apartment complex that was beautiful. And it was going through a change. They were painting, they were doing all this stuff. And we said, look, you know, if you just hire a painter for $50,000 a year, it'll save the complex so much money. Now I'm a billings manager and I'm just doing the math. They looked me dead in the face and was like, okay, we're just going to outsource it. It'll be fine. Well, it ended up being that year that over 175 doors got 
people moved out, tenants moved out. Now, this is a mm-hmm. over 622 unit apartment complex, so it was huge. Right. And so for 175 on a normal summer, hey, that's okay. I mean, we just get more people in. But this summer, you're painting, you're changing colors, and you're putting stainless steel in there. So it was eating them alive. Yeah. The guy who had the painting outsourcing contract would walk in there. He like 32, just he'd be strutting in there like, <laughs> you know, like he just getting so much money. So something that originally was going to cost him, you know, uh, $75,000 outsourced for the summer ended up getting that guy $350,000. Yeah. So I immediately called my friend Andrew Bryant was like, hey, <laughs> we started a painting company today. Right. <laughs> so so we ended up like. Um, really just like getting getting leads, getting uh, painting indoors and just sending people to do the contracts. I'd be at my apartment with the phone because sometimes people be like, I don't know how to use this stripe. So it allowed me to have that that freedom to be at home, um, making YouTube videos. My friends used to laugh like, all you do is make YouTube videos and eat tacos and hang out. I'm like, yes, that's what I do. <laughs> um, but every step of the way, I'm a big tracker. So I like writing notes and seeing what I'm learning, if I'm growing. And I, just this past week in one of my classes, I, I told people, you know, pull out a sheet of paper. What was your income five years ago? You know, overall, you know, just doing a guess. Income five years ago. What was your income three years ago? And what was your income last year? Mm-hmm. And if you look at those numbers, does it make you happier or sadder? Does it make like you accomplish more or you accomplish less? You know, I saw the numbers about daggone cry because it's always been me just tracking and, and doubling up and in ways that I, I just was like, whoa. Um, because when you start doing the videos, at first people say, well, you're not getting a lot of views. Why do you still do YouTube? Because I go every day, uh, somebody go and watch a video three years ago, four years ago, boom, they bought something. Um, tell me where else on the internet where somebody can go see something for years, still take action, still reach out to you, still contact you, still buy stuff from you. It's something you did years ago. <laughs> I've had people a lot of times go, man, you look so different in person. And they don't watch all my old videos. I'm like, honey, that was years ago. Don't look like that no more. Right. You know, so um, I find that YouTube spilled over and created this really a great abundance for me because I would bring people on to talk about investing, you know, their investment clubs, their investment groups. And people be like, yeah, that's good and all. I just want to invest with you. <laughs> like, like, what are you investing in? Can I partner with you? And so that's kind of how we had the journey um, the past two years of the trucks and all the real estate uh, all over the United States. Where do you think that initial drive to become an entrepreneur came from? Man, family. Uh, my grandpa owned a juke joint and had the farm. Right. In the 1980s, my grandma was like, yo, we bust. We are broke. We are broke out here. Everybody, let's go push and do whatever we're going to do. We got to do it right now. So at one point, we had all these kids in this big old house and everybody's parents were all fit military, you know, joining the military or we had an aunt in nursing school. And um, my first job at 14 was my cousin's dollar store. Now, granted, this this is like before franchise. This was like he had a catalog. He was ordering stuff from China. It shipped in boxes and he set up a whole dollar store. And in my mind, it was like anything's possible. This is back in like this is when I was 14. This is way back. Right. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, you can you can order stuff from a catalog and it show up. Right. You know, it was just mind blowing at that time to me. Um, and it really important things possible. You can do anything. If you, if you know, the, if you know the blueprint, you can follow it straight mm-hmm. up. And you know, what I think is so very important is like the exposure piece, because like you just said, you know, you had a family member who basically exposed you to ownership at a very young age. And that just influenced you basically to become who you are. Uh, So I think that exposure is so very critical. But I think um, one thing for most, you know, black entrepreneurs, we kind of feel this 
not necessarily a need, but um, we feel basically obligated to go out into the community or, you know, share our story and we basically just uplift our community. So do you feel like you have like an obligation to, you know, go out into the community and continue to act, impact people the way you do? Or um, do you just form, feel more obligated to just focus on, you know, you and your family's generational wealth? So I would say the reason I even started doing YouTube and sharing my journeys, people would look at me like I was foreign. I ain't never heard of that. I ain't never heard of no farms. I ain't never heard of no cops and military and rolling real estate. And I'm like, how is this foreign? When everybody in my circle, this is very the norm. Mm-hmm. And so what it what it exposed me to honestly was classism, right? The fact that we have uh, we have a huge number. Let's be let's just break it down. Fifty two percent of African Americans live in the suburbs or rural areas. Mm-hmm. But what's cool on TV? You know, the inner city, the struggle, the hustle. And you even see actual kids from middle class neighborhoods trying to trying to get the struggle for what? You know, trying yeah. to have the struggle story. And I, I read an article I think in maybe twenty twelve where it was talking about African American middle class kids usually fall into poverty and they could not figure it out, right? The article whole thing was like studying African-American people. Like what is, what's going on? And for me, I think it's because lack of exposure, right? You, you don't know any engineers, so you don't become one. You don't know any doctors. You don't, you know, you don't know any um, people to give you the pathway, right? Because anytime one of my nephews or my cousins complain, it's like, we ain't trying to hear it. Somebody, there's somebody we can show you has done it. So if somebody that looks like you can do it, you can too. Um, that's, I think it's a, a mental blocker for people. Yeah. Especially when I see a lot of these, I'm in the masterminds and groups where there's kids who are, and I hate to say kids, like trying to be the old lady or whatever, but they're 19 to 23. And you're like, who convinced you you could do this? And they go, oh, my uncle traded stocks back in the day, or my uncle did this, or it's, if you see it play out, it's not this unrealistic thing, right? It's not this crazy dream. Mm -hmm. And so we have a, we have a problem somewhat in the community of people seeing people who are one proud to be country, country old American cowboy boot wearing from the middle class, family's a bunch of cops. Hey, how are you, how are you doing? It's not the norm. And so people are kind of like, but it is to a segment of people. It really is the norm. I just want to make it. I just want to make being a suburban, happy African-American person normal, just Mm -hmm. normalize it. Right. We, we all don't have these like a massive struggle stories of homelessness and poverty and the guns and the, we just don't. And I think um, it's important to share that. So people don't, don't get lost in it. For sure. For the, for the folks that, um, that wasn't fortunate enough to have that exposure growing up early on, uh, what advice can you give them as they begin to, you know, tap into, you know, this digital products or a podcast or YouTube to kind of uh, feed their entrepreneurial spirit? For sure. First thing I'm going to tell you is, if like, let's say you see Todd Billy, right? You see him and you write out all these notes of, okay, this is who I want to, I'd say on, on right now on a piece of paper, write out five people you want to meet this year. You know why? Because it's possible, right? I ain't saying you're going to meet Mariah Carey this year, but I am saying you can meet some people that you see on Instagram that you're learning from or people in different business industries. You can meet those people. Um, I wrote a list out maybe in 2015, no, about 2016, I met every single person on that list. And it was literally like from Grant Cardone three or four or five times to Robert Kiyosaki to like the people I wrote on that list because I realized if you put your mindset in, I'm gonna not only gonna meet this person, I'm gonna kind of get into the wavelength of what's going on. Right now, I can tell you right now, uh, as far as black business Instagram, I've met probably 80% of the people, (laughs) right? I probably met them in person. I went out to LA, met a lot of people. Uh, went to New York, went to Florida, all kinds of places and met people. The first thing I want to tell you is get around who you who you want to admire or who you're trying to be like. Because somebody had an idea, right? They're like, man, you don't want to do a podcast. 
well, this guy over here does a podcast like this. I can do that. Okay, well, I want you to go surround yourself with five to 10 podcasts, mm-hmm. right? I, I, one of my clients was a sports guy, sports nut. And he's like, yeah, I could do so much a better job. I'm like, if you think that, let's write down 20 sports podcasts that not only either you want to interact with, you want to be around, or you want to outgrow. To this day, and I, I can't disclose because it's NDA, but he is a bigger sports caster online than sometimes Fox Sports. Mm. Sometimes Fox Sports online's got 200 people watching a live. I have 400 people watching my live. So you, you got to understand that any any number you're thinking is, oh my God, I can't reach it. Write it down. You can meet that person. Mm-hmm. You can connect with them. You can get that information. No, I think that's facts. And I know uh, Ty, Ty Millie, he spoke on that as well. Uh, like he said, some on Twitter one day was like, you know, if you want to sell a million dollars in courses, get around somebody who's selling a million dollars in courses. Mm-hmm. And that's what made him probably link up, you know, with Chris Johnson. And now he's just going crazy with the courses. Uh, and I think that's, that's so very important as well, because the company you keep really kind of determines where you're going to go. Because if you're around a ton of people who think like, damn, okay, making 50000 a year is amazing, you're probably going to make 50000 a year. But now if you're around people that think like, you know, 50000 a month is a bad month, like you're going to have I mean, a, a totally month. different mindset. <laughs> Those are the type of people I'm trying to get. <laughs> exactly. Listen, it, 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 50 can be a bad month. Um, I remember I was in a group of people and I was talking about, man, you know, uh, one of my companies only made 250K so far this year. It's a bad year. They were like, only. (laughs) And I was like, you have to realize as you move up, there's new problems. Yeah. Right. Uh, When you have two trucks, hey, when you have 12 trucks, it's new problems. Right. Mm -hmm. When you working on two rental properties out of state, it's some problems. When you have nine, it's real problems, you know. So you as you elevate, you should be elevating your circle. Mm -hmm. Honestly, right now. I, um, uh, you guys are probably know about, it. I have a project called Texas Ground Zero. It's 18 acres. It's, you know, a truck repair business on the front. The 15 acres in the back need to be, you know, all this dirt, all this stuff. And, you know, I'm writing it down and people are like, man, that's 2.5 mil. I end up getting on maybe 20 phone calls mm-hmm. within an hour. People are like, yo, where are we writing check? Where are we writing mm-hmm. check? But it didn't start that way. It started for me showing a track record, proving people I could do it. Proving I can handle it, showing that I have accountants, I have outside third party people checking my numbers. I have, you know, I'm building these relationships and consistently and, and love the integrity of my name that I will do that. I will make sure this project happens. Right. Um, it starts from you connecting. I, my biggest thing for people, if they will never get nothing else from anything I do is capital and relationships. Mm-hmm. How you treat people, how you talk to people matters. How you how you interact with people matters. People will remember how you said something to them five years ago. Yeah. More than anything you do. I've had people go, well, yeah, I used to think you were real this because I, I met you a couple years ago and you I'm like, I don't even remember that. I might have been on my way to the bathroom. I wasn't even trying to be rude to you. I might have just been busy. Mm-hmm. People remember how you make them feel. That's true. You know, I've had people block me on Twitter for something I like the button. You know, I ain't even a good Twitter person. I'm like, I don't even know I like the button. Did I like it? So you have to realize people. Capital and relationships matter. So you don't always have to have the capital, but if you don't have relationship skills, whoop, got to have a rough day. So while we on the topic of relationships mm-hmm. and people, mm-hmm. uh, on your Instagram, you mentioned how um, becoming successful takes knowledge, patience, and a ton of effort. And uh, one thing that caught my attention is that you mentioned systems matter and people matter. Um, can you touch on the importance of building uh, profitable and successful systems in conjunction with you know managing and building mm-hmm. relationships? So at this point, I've, I've built three six-figure businesses. 
And I'll tell you right now, I'm a creative person. There's a great book. Everybody, if you ever check this book, it's called Rocket Fuel. And what, what it breaks down is there are two people. You're not always, you're not both of them. There's just no way. There's a visionary and a manager. Sometimes we call the manager an integrator. Um, with any great business or great teams, you have somebody who's doing all the paperwork, who's doing all the, you know, this is how things get run. And then you have this creative person that's a visionary of how it should go. Like this is the ideal for the project and someone's working on the other half. I know for myself now that I'm a visionary. I am not an integrator. Uh, if, if something happens, if it's paperwork, don't call me. I don't know, right? Um, I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses. And so what I've, I've learned in that is 98% of the world runs on systems. Point of period, like you, you can wanna stay up at three o'clock in the morning and that's fine, but your staff nine times out of 10 are gonna wanna come in from nine to five. They're going to want to work from nine to five. The bank works nine to five. Most things you want to interact in still have a nine to five mindset to it. So if you know that, create a system. So even though your staff comes in nine to five and gets a ton done, you can go off and be creative all day and all night. But again, you have a system in place to keep the business running with or without you. Um, I'm planning a sabbatical here uh, pretty soon. And the staff is like, whoa, she wearing us out because I'm already putting SOPs for August, September, October, November, December. Like we already have what we doing for Christmas. Mm. Like what videos are planned, what this or, because there shouldn't be a guess. Do you see what I'm saying? Like I can be creative and change my mind tomorrow, but guess what? They should have a structure. Yep. People like structure. Thanks. People like knowing they're going to get paid on Friday. You know, I, I've been in businesses where I didn't get paid for two months. I was like, it's all good. And people like, my paycheck didn't hit at 9 a.m. on Friday. Oh, Lord, help us. And you'd be like, well, we'll check it again. An hour later, it's there at 10. You know what I mean? People don't, people like structure and people like systems and systems help you make money. Spot on. So let's get into some real estate. Uh, so, we all we all know the power of group economics and our community for for several reasons I'm sure we just haven't been in a position to um, properly implement that in our community. So I really love the fact that you you know use investment groups or private money or whatever so have you to give a plethora of you know individuals in our community opportunities to invest in these assets. So can you tell us a little bit just of how the idea came about to start your own real estate investment group. Um, and basically that whole journey to, you know, financing, to acquiring properties, et cetera, et cetera. So part of um, when I learn a system, I, I go, okay, this is the system. What does it require? So when it came to semi trucks, I was out there and I was going, man, I'm looking here at a system where majority of drivers are black and white and Hispanic. The majority mm -hmm. of owners are not black. The majority of brokers, I mean, everybody you can think of the levels you can go to brokers, um, people, shippers, connections overseas. A lot of immigrants are into trucking. There's just money moving all over trucking and it's immigrant heavy. And I'm a, I'm a follower of immigrants because I'm a military kid and, and it just the ebbs and flow of a military base, immigrant folk going to be all right. You know, if something happens tomorrow, they're going to figure out a way. Um, and there's a whole story with that. But but basically when I started noticing, OK, hmm, everybody in the back, everybody at this level and people who own truck parking are immigrants. That's where I need to be. So when I started owning the truck, it made a difference. Right. So I would call up places and they go, I'm looking for Mr. Eric Williams. Can I talk to your husband? Uh, can I talk to the man of the house? Can I go to, you know, these questions that were crazy because you're like 15% of the industry are owners, mm -hmm. at least 10% of the industry owning our women. Like, but it's, you got to realize what's stereotypically the norm. 
Yep. And so it, it became a thing for me. We're like, oh, no, I'm going to show you, <laughs> you know, I'm going I'm to get these trucks. Right. And um, we all know a driver, but we don't know many owners. Mm. And that was the thing I kept running up to. Everybody knows an uncle that drove a truck or a cousin that drove a truck, but nobody knows many owners. Even in the industry, only 10 percent or less out of 3.5 million drivers, 380,000 own their own truck. That's oh, it. Right. So you, you, you're dealing with people getting paid 40 cents a mile when an owner is getting paid two to three dollars per mile. Something, something's off there, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, and that worked the same for real estate. When I went to Detroit, I was like, and I'm be careful, but even when I went to Detroit and I went to Cleveland, because uh, we have a duplex in Cleveland, there's a Swedish couple that owns 113 properties in East, East Cleveland. Mm-hmm. See, this is not even, this is not even, Amer- this is international. Mm-hmm. People know where the liquid money is. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. As PC as I can make it, right? People know where the money is. They're making a lot of money off of certain neighborhoods and not investing anything back in. The only reason I was able to get the property is because when they told them, hey, you guys have to do this many repairs, they were like, well, we'll sell it. These people are making money for years off of these neighborhoods and these communities. And the thought of them having to put money into it to replace the repair it. Oh, no, we're not doing that. Crazy. So I make it very clear that I want to own in these areas because if somebody's going to rent to our people, at least let it be somebody who's at least going to care mm-hmm. what the neighborhood looks like, what the improvements look like not do patchwork and the house is unsafe and dangerous and nobody cares. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I think it make a, it makes a, a huge difference when we are in a position to basically rent our apartments to people who look like us. Like we provide a much different landlord experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking to my tenants and most of them or both of them, they've never had a, a good landlord experience. So um, recently when I told them like I was selling the house, like they was worried. <laughs> They was worried, you know, asking all types of questions like who's the new landlord going to be? Uh, are they going to be, you know, as alert of um, to, you know, our needs and making sure basically everything is going the way it should go. Um, and I think that's a huge issue. And yeah. that's kind of what led me to ownership as well. Like my first renting experience outside of college was terrible. Like stayed in this huge high rise building and the management team, they kept switching it literally like every month. It was yeah. ridiculous. It was like a, it was a real shit show. So that really pushed me into ownership. Um, and I hope, you know, sharing our stories like this can help push other, you know, black and brown kids back into our communities to own things. Like, even if you don't want to live there, like own something there. If you're going to hire a property management company, really do your due diligence to make sure the tenants, both yours and the tenants needs are met. Um, mm-hmm. So you're providing that good experience. And that's just one easy way we can start to take back our communities. I mean, prime example, my cousin in Fedville, my, where my aunt lives, my oldest aunt is like 75, my youngest is 50. Whole story here. But anyway, so like the, the houses around her, my cousin owns all six. So as they would come up for sale, because that na- oh the neighborhood's dangerous. He buy them for like thirty five thousand. Well now they're worth eighty thousand, right? So he has all these houses around his mother, so he controls who the tenants are. He mm-hmm. placed elderly people from New York. Most people that come down like oh I'm retired down south, cheap rent, and and that would be her neighbors. Well he'd also park his police car there. So he changed the tempo of those six houses around his own mother by being the owner, right? Um, prime example, even in Houston right now, in Houston, and I think Fifth Ward, if I'm mistaken, like I think 80, 80% of all the houses owned over there are owned by five, five families who are not minorities. 
streets. Mm. So, so when you say, why does this neighborhood look like this? Why do the streets look like this? Why are the homes not taken care of? It's not always the hood. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not always the people living there uh, for the reason why. And so I want people to understand like the power in every month giving a thousand dollars of your money somewhere, you know, it's powerful. Like you're, you're creating a dynasty for their children's children, right? My cousin barely works because his father owns all these rentals in federal. Like he works, but he ain't really working hard. Like he like <laughs> a matter of time here, you know what I mean? Like he's just doing the math on time, you know? Sure. To to piggyback on, on that, I think a lot of folks they're so they're so concerned with receiving and they don't practice the approach of giving. The more you give, the more you receive in your own individual life. And that's the universal law of reciprocity. And I think there's a bigger, um, a bigger initiative that folks need to have when it comes to ownership is not just essentially about, you know, increasing your cash flow or mm-hmm. network, you know, it's really about providing affordable housing to individuals that one need it and mm-hmm. also being able to redevelop urban communities that need attention the most. Mm-hmm. Right. We talk about our people that look like us struggling, but we have an opportunity to play an active role and being able to, you know, give them some sort of platform to be able to speak from, but without, furthering our education in, in the realm of ownership, we'll never know. Well, I think I think two, a couple factors play here and, and people get mad at me, I'm, I'm devil's advocate or whatever, but I think the lack of marriage plays a huge role in it, right? Because mm. if you're a single man all the way to 35, there's no really incentive for you to do what? Why build, why buy a bunch of property? For who? Why not just live in a nice condo and have a nice car and enjoy your summers, right? Um, even if you're a woman, okay, well, I'm just gonna wait till I get married before I buy something. So now we have, you know, a community, a generation of people who are waiting for someone to come to their life before it makes sense to buy, right? Um, when you have counter communities who are getting married, not just white, Indian, Hispanic, 23 to 27, and they start buying stuff. So now, and and I can tell you this off of just 6,000 paid phone consultations, a lot of the phone calls were like, we just got married at 32. She ready to have a baby. Well, we want to buy a house and we got these new cars and we got student loans. You starting with a whole mule on your back versus old girl and old boy who started five years ago. They don't pay her loans off now. They don't pay her car off now. She can have babies and stay at home now. You talking about how much daycare costs. See what I'm saying? It, it's, it matters. And we, we play big in our community like, oh, no, you don't, you don't know. We play that game, but it's dangerous because it's generationally dangerous, right? Um, two, there's several young ladies I've seen post that they bought a house. And people in the comments are like, girl, why you need all that house? What do you need all that house? It's just you. What you need all that house for? So it's also a cultural thing. We're telling people they need, they need less. Why you need so much? And my thoughts are, we're out here in a capitalist society where people come here crawling across the border and then within years they own businesses they own houses they have trucks they have shops they have commercial because the game is to own here i don't th- i don't think we got the memo yet but we're gonna get it here soon that what we're seeing right now um this guy had an article and it was called asian supremacy and it's not you know no 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 racial thing but it really should be called ownership supremacy. The communities that own businesses, that own properties, they're living the American dream. Uh, just quick numbers. One in 10 Asians own a business. One in 34 whites. One in 54 Hispanics. And one in 808 Black people. Mm. If you don't think that ties into home ownership, that ties into the, the homeless kids you see out here, the young boys that don't have jobs or anybody to guide them to a job out here, yep. if, if you don't think that plays a role in it, um, I, I don't know what to tell you because 
because I really can't wake you at this point if you mm-hmm. don't see it. Yeah, and those numbers you just hit out are just emotionally just staggering to even consume. And, and let's let's be 100. Now everybody can't see me. I don't know if y'all want to make this a video. What is a business? It's a piece of paper. Right. It's a piece of paper, y'all. Like, like I literally have to fight people on the internet when I talk about, well, just go get your LLC. Oh, wait, what about DBA? Well, what about this? I'm like, 100 bucks? 50 bucks for a piece of paper that protects you and creates a legacy. If you die tomorrow, I have clients right now who mothers and fathers died five years ago, but because they have piece of paper and access to the bank, that business still runs, mm-hmm. right? Everything ain't perfect. Now they didn't do everything right. The will ain't perfect and the, the passive won't perfect, but the piece of paper is what kept the business. Because if it just had Miss, Miss Jackie Jones on the bank, you're not getting Jackie Jones money. Okay, if it had Jackie Jones on the business, you're not getting Jackie Jones business. It's the piece of paper that we kind of are making this. I don't know, man, I'm taxes, man. I just don't know. It's a hundred dollars. It's the business bank account, put $50 in it. it we're, we're giving it this, um, this mysticism that we shouldn't. Oh. Yep. And I think, I think it has a lot to do with fear mm-hmm. as well. You know, false expectations appearing real. And everybody's worried about, you know, failing or they're too worried about, you know, what's go- what to do next. You know, just get started. Yeah. And I think that was one of our first episodes. Where we just talked about like, yo, just get whatever you want to do. Just get started and figure the rest out later. Mm-hmm. Well, so, even starter homes. Think about it. When you talk, listen, I'm going to just keep it 100. I talked to a lot of black realtors and they go, the reason they just, they work for whoever, because a lot of times they try to talk into the black community. People are like, well, I don't want that house. I want the $400,000 house. Well, baby, your credit and your money is the $120,000 house. Just This is called a starter home for a reason. See, yeah. nobody wants to look like they're starting. See, yeah. they 35 now. They got the kids now. They got the man now. I, I need the big house, but you haven't put yourself in position yet. Again, mm. it's we, we have a cultural people starting a little bit late. And we and we 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 like we really embrace it. There's a I think can't remember the hashtag on Instagram, but it was all these people getting ready to turn 40. And it was all these black people like, ah, look at my body, look at my hat, look at my clothes. I'm like, where the families? Where the red rings? We got a bunch of people talking about they turning four. What's this? What kind of hashtag, you know, game is this? I don't know, you know, that's just something I've noticed lately. What do you recommend for a young entrepreneur that's chasing financial freedom, um, should he or she have a focus on increasing their cash flow or should they focus on increasing their capital first, then their cash flow later? Um, I'm going to say, first, you got to know your numbers. So let's say you work a job and you're making 52000 a year, right? But you only need like two grand, 2500 a month to make it. Now, depending on your city, that could be doable. Some people not, right? Um, let's say you just need to have your rent and your car covered, maybe in your student loans. If you know that number, now you're dangerous. You can you can choose to go left or right. It's your it's your ball. It's in your court. So let's say you make 50k a year, but you only need 20 really. So now you know, okay, every month I got an extra couple thousand. I can do this or that with. Mm-hmm. You you already freed up your cash flow. You just got to know your numbers. And this is the danger. If you don't know your numbers, you will wake up five years from now and still not know your numbers. Yep. And and there's something about pen and paper, getting out a piece of paper. Okay, this is what I make. This is what I need. I've got on the phone with people and they go, well, I need 20K to start this business. And you start talking to them, you get start writing it out. Well, they got a 20K credit card. Well, yeah, yeah, but that's my credit card for, you know, trips and points. And you already got the money. Like, what's the plan here? See, that's, again, it plays that fear of getting started or using that money to get started. Yeah. And typically, a lot of people, they already have everything they need to get right. where they want to go and don't yes. even realize it. Like, when I'm talking to individuals and we're creating a financial plan, first thing we always do is create a budget. 
And we find so much money that they didn't even know they had because they never wrote it down Mm -hmm. to actually visualize it. Like people literally like, damn, I'm supposed to be saving. I can save a thousand dollars a month. Why don't I have any savings? Like you spend it all. (laughs) You spend it all. You don't plan for it. You never really, you know, put a plan to it. So now you just kind of just let life take you or take your money wherever you see fit. And then you know, those emotional feelings are going to be attached to it. So now, since you don't got a plan in place, it's like, damn, your emotions is going to guide every decision. So that's why it's just so very important to plan, like putting things on paper, or if you're more visual, like get a big ass whiteboard. Like I love my whiteboard. Uh, I got a whiteboard. Now I've been putting all my ideas, like at the beginning of the day, I'll literally like just do a brain dump, just put a bunch of ideas on it and select one or two that I'm going to pursue. So just finding different ways to get yourself going, but definitely having that active plan is just so essential. Um, You said something similar like that on your Instagram. You said like, if you don't know where you want to be in five years, you are already there. You're already there. That's crazy. That's 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 real deep. Have you ever talked to people and you'd be like, oh, so what you doing next year? I don't really know. You know, just gonna live life. You know, get comfortable. People get comfortable all the way to 35. You be talking to me like, what you doing? What you doing? You know, I'm just going to be comfortable. And like, here's the thing. God didn't put you out here to be comfortable every day of your life. Mm-hmm. I don't know who who's selling that dream, but it's a lie. There will be some work out here. Um, what's, what you, what I love about what you said about the whiteboard, there's a whiteboard in every office in, this, in both these buildings. Yeah. In this office and in this office. I want everybody in this office to have an opportunity to get on there and write it out. Right? Mm-hmm. If you're getting stuck, you need to write it out. Something's happening. Write it out. Um... <laughs> There's a lot could be said about being comfortable, but I'm gonna I'm stop. <clears throat> they they selling that they selling that dream because it's so easy for people to buy it. Yes. Uh, everybody everybody wants what's easy. Nobody want to work for something. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brian mentioned this in one of our earlier earlier podcast episodes. He said there's so many people walking around with a microwavable mindset, and they want instant results. And once we realize that the quicker that you get to where you want to go, the quicker is it, it is for you to not be there next year or two years from now and there's beauty in struggling there is so many different experiences and exposures you have with not only just learning from your mistakes but not taking the quick route and i'm a strong believer in having you know mentors and tapping into your resources but so many people don't even want to do that they just want to get rich tomorrow they want to to have wealth tomorrow see the best the crazy part which this is what people understand see little Little middle class full kids like me, we like, oh man, it's not, you know, we'll quit. We'll be comfortable. We'll quit. It's the guy or girl who doesn't have a lot of money right now. And they're searching every day. If they'll pick a thing and dedicate to it in two to three years, their shine will outshine ours because they're starting from one, a lower point, and two, the desire to get there is stronger. Mm-hmm. I meet a lot of my friends from back where I was at, they, they chilling, they coasting. A lot of my engineer friends, they, there is no drive to go do something greater. They're like, well, I just want to yeah, maybe get a few rental properties and relax, you know. They, they already done what they drive. I meet kids who really come from struggles, struggle areas, and in five years, their trajectory is like, because mm-hmm. they're ready, they're soaking it up like a sponge. So you have to also pay attention too to like the microwave mentality is because they're seeing people on the internet what you think is a uh, overnight success? Oh, Eric, you did that two years. No, baby, this has been a seven-year journey. Like making YouTube videos where two hundred people watch a video. Yep. Uh, you know, ninety percent of all YouTube uh, videos get less than a thousand views. So when I get three or four grand views, I'm like, yeah. And people are like, 
you got that little small channel. I know this little small channel made us a million dollars. Help raise almost $2 million. So I'm going to just keep on being happy about my little channel. It, it really just speaks to the power of consistency and believing in yourself too as well. Because a lot of people, when they're not getting those views or they're not getting those mm-hmm. likes or those followers, they attach uh, like an emotional, they basically have an emotional attachment to that yep. feeling as well. Because they want to they wanna see that traction. So it can be kind of tough, you know, mm-hmm. when you're getting out the mud, when you're just starting out to see yourself not getting a ton of traction. But you got to realize you got to play the long game. Like Nip, like Nip say all the time, like it's a marathon. Like it's not a sprint. You got to continually day after day, put one foot in front of the other and just get better every day. Like if you can get try to get better every day in some way, faith, some way, shape, form, or fashion, like you'll be leaps and bounds ahead of your peers. And that's what I tell people all the time. Like let's try to get better every day. Make sure you're focusing on yourself in terms of promoting yourself. Like every day, if you got a business or a product, you're not promoting yourself every day. Like you missing out because it's billions of people on the internet at all times. So if you're you're leveraging that day in and day out. Like you're reaching more people every day. Now you're giving more people the opportunity to, you know, buy your product or get impacted by, you know, whatever you're selling or you're teaching and really the sky's the limit at that point. But for some reason I found as well that in our community, we have an issue with selling and promotion. It's like we always dim in our life for some for some reason. Maybe it's a self-confidence thing. Maybe it's from environment. I don't know what it is, uh, but that's something we need to change like ASAP. Well, I think it's sales, right? Sales in America has a bad name. Yeah. Sales in Europe, in Russia, in Asia, you the man. You are the man if you are a salesman. You are the man. You make the company. Like this the owner, but you make the company. You are the salesman. See, in America, we're like, oh, salesman, car salesman, uh, used car salesman. You know, we, we put, we, we dim down the salesman. Grant Cardone, see, for a long time, people don't realize Grant Cardone had a very normal, boring normal guy think it wasn't until he became Greg Cardone putting a cigar in his mouth doing all that weird stuff that now people are like oh I hate that guy hate that guy right but it got your attention yep. so he did, he did what he was trying to do he got your attention um if you ever go to one of his one-on-one boot camps you're like he's very normal right so it, it's part of a um American thing I would say like mm. to not like sales because in other countries it's like you know hey Hey, I'm gonna keep asking so you say no, kind of thing. Right. Even go to the islands. When you go on tourism, they be like, hey, 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 you wanna get this? You wanna go snorkel? Thirty dollars. I'm like, nah, I can't do it. Twenty, fifteen, get all your whole crew, twenty-five, your whole crew. All right, okay, we'll go, we'll take it. Fine, we'll take it. I mean, it's it's just a it's an American thing. What's the biggest lesson you learned investing in real estate? Ooh, man. You know, so I have this this terminology that I realize I, I keep going back to. All roads lead to real estate, right? Um, people to this day will fight me on this. But if you look back, our family had a lot of ups and downs in the 80s. And we had this one big house that everybody kept, kept falling back to. Anytime something happened, you go back to the house. If you had aunts and uncles or properties, you'd go stay with them. In the South, what you if you pay attention, there's a lot of Northern cousins. Something go wrong. They come back down to the South to somebody who has a house. They come back down to Cousin Jenny's. They come back down to South Carolina. They come back down to Carolina because all roads lead to real estate. If you can't control where you live, if you can't control the roof over your head, it dictates a lot. Um, And for me, what I learned is, one, you have professional tenants. One, we have a tenant right now in Detroit going on eight months free rent. I mean, old girl made that system work for her and she has a job. This is how I can't understand the mindset go together. I'm like, got a job. There's no reason, right? So, um... 
And also what I learned about real estate is, you know, I make this joke, one monkey don't stop, no show. I can't remember what rap music song that came on, but one monkey don't stop, no show. You literally can call up 27 contractors in one day. Somebody want to act up, leave a site. Okay, bye-bye, right? You can call up 30, 40, 50 people. If you won't do it, somebody will. And we have a society of people who are like, well, if I'm not the one you're working with, then nothing will get done. And you're like, no, that's not true. There's plenty of talented people out there. That's a scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. I, I don't operate in my scarcity. I don't operate like that. Somebody threatens me or does something weird. I'm like, you're out. You're gone. Goodbye. Have a great day. There's somebody else who will do that. But that's what I learned about real estate this year. Well said. I've been down that road where I've had a contractor. Oh, man. I had the fire contractor, sewer contractor. Listen. I've been I've been through the fire. <laughs> and, and the thing about it is they know they're in a position of it's such a lack of skilled labor. Like right now I have a remodeling uh, company. It's stuff I do on the side people don't even know about, right? So because uh, I send the leads out. The lack of people who can just do basic stuff, right? Like uh, when we had our painting company a couple years ago. I would send them out and they do a fence repair or they do painting inside. And they, people call back like, can you get the gutters? Can you get this doorknob? Can you get this lock? It'd be just the most random little small things that maybe if they watch YouTube, they could get it. But that's how lack of handy people are right now. They don't even know how to, I don't even know what the screwdriver, you know? Um, I think somebody posted on Instagram the other day, like really upset me greatly. It was like, I have these six boys and I just showed them, they didn't even know what sheetrock was or how to change a doorknob. Oh, and I'm like, sheetrock? You don't even know. I mean, like Hispanic community, if I say sheetrock, a 12 year old come out with a sheetrock in his hand, like beat this. He started ready to put it up, right? You know, it's like, I mean, this is Texas. Um, my, even my nephew, you know, knows what sheetrock is. So when I see these young men out here who don't know like these really basic skills, it, it makes me worry because it, it just creates this generation of, I mean, like right now, if we just do the math, the average con- the average plumber is 62 years old. The average roofer is 57. The average, uh, the average, if I'm not mistaken, the average electrician is somewhere like 55. And like, even when I'm on the roads here in Texas, I was at a light. I looked over to my left, they in the hole, right? They in the hole, the man on the ladder, gray. I'm talking about somebody, seven-year-old daddy gray. Okay, he in the hole. The man on top of the ladder, watching him, making sure he's okay, he's super gray. I'm like, look, if both these men fall down today, who comes and get these men? Because that's the, we have a, a, a lack of handy men. We have a lack of people who have skills and trades, and it's going to come back. It's going to come back strong. These yeah. next two, three years, what you're going to see is a big, um, you're going to have a, a kind of a separate society. You're going to have some tech folks and some people with some trades, and they're going to be doing just fine. They're going to be making a lot of money. Right now, everybody's stuck at home for Rona. Uh, I've called up maybe 20 contractors here in Austin. All of them got five to six weeks out. Like, hey, I can't, I can't even get to you, baby. Yeah. I can't help you. Damn you know, Chicago, people are super busy. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. man, it's, too busy. it's crazy right now. Yeah. So <laughs> that's just what you said on that. All right, m- moving into the trucking space. Mm-hmm. Um, how does someone that's been inspiring to jump into the trucking industry, how do they get started? First thing, first things first. Why are they interested? What's the numbers they trying to look for, right? You, you you need to know what you're looking for. Now, there's one guy, he he cracked me up. I follow him and he be on, he be on Jamaica every weekend, <laughs> just living the life. And people, I'm like, y'all, 
Yes, he has one truck, but he also has rental property. So so balance that. You're not just living crazy on one truck. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, the if you want to get in trucking, one, first, educate yourself. Two, yes, talk to some local truckers, but be very aware. I get a lot of calls from people. They go, well, my uncle's a driver, and he said ain't no money in trucking, and it is bad. And I said, well, what does your uncle do? He's a driver. I said, that's right. He's a driver, not an owner. He's a driver. So what you need to do, you need to talk to somebody who's an owner. Now, can your uncle give you amazing information on, is this truck good? Is this a quality truck? Is it running? What, what, what are the needs of it? He can give you all that data, but he can't give you that perspective of ownership, yeah. right? So there's a big thing I tell people, 20%, 20%. Now, what does this 20% mean? If I have a, a truck and let's say I have that 90% of all trucking companies have six trucks or less. 97% of them have 20 trucks or less. It's only 22 companies that have like these huge number of trucks mm-hmm. that get invited to the White House. So the guy with six trucks can make 1.5 million a year. But what's 20% of that? 20% of that is 300,000. Right. Why is that important? The average American makes 30 grand a year. Mm. One in five households have 100 grand a year. If you got a guy with six trucks and he has a pretty decent year and he makes 300,000, guess what? He don't care about owning more trucks. He just make more made the ones he have run well, okay? And so when I talk to people, I want to go, remember, you're looking at gross numbers for sure. Yeah, a 1.5 mil run run through that bank account. But what he gets to keep if he is up to date on software and technology and keeping his numbers straight is that 300,000. So just you got to you got to know what what are you trying to make this year? Right. You know, if you try to make an extra 20, extra 50. okay, let's talk about it. If you're trying to make racks on racks on racks, I don't, uh, sir, I'm going to need you to come off Instagram. I'm going to need you to stop it. <laughs> if y'all saw my Instagram post where I had a truck where water collapsed the trailer, okay? The tow bill was $30,000, okay? See, people ain't, people don't talk about that part of it, okay? I had, um, I had four trucks go down at the same time on the same day. PA, wow. New York, uh, Texas. Dallas, a uh, one in Louisiana. Oh, man. That cost cost to be lost, right? So it's, it's not just the glam. I always so I want to always I always like, hey, you want an extra thousand dollars a week, baby? Hey, truck it. <laughs> you want an extra five grand a week, baby? I don't. That's some crack. I don't know what you're talking about. That's not, <laughs> that's you know that's a that's not truck. <laughs> it's crazy, like the mindset people have, like. Just because of the environment, like I was talking to one of my homies I grew up with, and he said he wanted to get in trucking, like he about to get a CDL. And I told mm-hmm. him, like, yeah, that's cool, bro, but like you could just own the trucks, and you don't need your CDL. Like you don't need to know how to drive them. <laughs> just you know, hire somebody else to do that component. And then he was like, damn, I never really thought about it like that. It's like that's because we've been, you know, coddled into having these basically employee mindsets just off society and you know our environments it's just crazy and when you just flip that switch it just opens you up to so many different opportunities like there's way more opportunities i think you know to be a business owner and be successful than it is to be an employee like nobody can really pay you what you're worth um never it's not not profitable it's not profitable to pay people what they're worth like business owners have to make some type of spread on their investment into these employees so um people definitely they need to know that and they need to leverage their nine to fives to basically you know create different streams of income for their families and create create a legacy for those who come after them um so that's what I think that's really the best way to go about it, in my opinion. Like mm-hmm. you're starting out, like you're low income, either go get a trade and run it up like that, get into tech or something like that. But just make sure you have others in mind. Like you can't be selfish. 
Like you, you gotta hustle for your last name. Like at this point, it's it's a requirement. Is it's really a requirement? It's only we're at an ownership about your feelings and all of that. Like you got to think about who's coming after you, uh, and I think that's so important. So important. Have you ever heard the saying, uh, "What do other people have planned for you?" Mm-hmm. Not much. Not all. much. Not much. <laughs> right? You see somebody walking down the street. What you got planned for them? Not much. <laughs> what does your boss have planned for you? Not much. What yeah. the, so if you aren't planning for you, honey, it's dangerous. Yeah. That's why I tell people, if you, I need you to get out a sheet of paper and write what you want to do in five years from now, what you want to do in 10 years. I was just blessed to have military family who are always like, what's your short-term goals? What's your long-term goals? And you'd be like, mom, I don't, I don't know. You're wearing me out this week. But it, was, it made you go, you know, why are you doing A, B, and C, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I used to have friends that would be down in Miami all the time. And I'd be like, man, I'm out here working at my family's business. I'd be in Miami. My family would be like, well, what is it? what's that getting you, right? What's that getting you? Um, the thing I want, if I don't nothing else, if nobody gets nothing else out of this is like, I bought on a net's worth on my channel the other day and she had just been watching my YouTube channel since 2013. And in a, in, in about 2015, in five years plan, she retired from being a nurse. She bought a, a rental property, let, tax lien wise, and let it double. Like all she did is sit on it for a year. It doubled in value, sold it, and was investing in stocks and she's retired now and it's like little stuff it's like the little action you take leads leads so far away far roads you know so you got to have a plan for you um, how, how have you leveraged funding from large small and private money to grow your businesses so the best thing i want to tell people is private money is the way to go yeah why because the terms are better again it's that relationships proponent Biggest thing I can tell you right now, people's paperwork is so janky. If you're an accountant right now, you're going to be rich the next two to three years. You know why? Because 60% of black people alone could that own that own businesses could not even apply for the PPP because the paperwork was janky. Mm -hmm. Right. We got a thing called Main Street Lending coming out right now. If your business is made over sixty four thousand dollars a year, you can get times four. So let's say hypothetically your business made one hundred grand. You can get four hundred thousand dollar loan. Don't pay anything for two years on. Right. If you made four hundred grand, your business can get one point six million. But if your paperwork was janky, you can't get no money. You can't get no money. Okay. So the biggest thing I see coming, especially in our community, is is the rise of accountants, the rise of people who can help people do QuickBooks, put apps together, um, tracking. Same thing with these these trucking companies. The trucking companies that are surviving right now have software that tells them, hey, something's wrong with the truck. Truck's making noise. This is coming up in the future. Same thing with real estate. People know when the taxes are coming. They got software telling them, okay, tenant paid on time. Okay, you did this many repairs. If you aren't tracking, you, you can't. You can't win if you don't track. Mm-hmm. That's just the point. Anything you care about, you track, right? We track sports. We track LeBron, where he moving, where he going, what he eating today. We track music artists. We know that uh, Tory Lane shot old girl in the foot, like the movie. I mean, we know all these things. Yeah. What that got to do with where you going? Mm-hmm. It don't, right? We're, we're, we're experts on Facebook and not experts on LinkedIn. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, you're not even talking the wavelength of money. Mm-hmm. Like, when people get on my channel, like, I want to make six figures a year. I'm like, well, send me your LinkedIn. Let me, let me look at it. I don't even got one. What? Like all recruiters, lazy recruiters do all day is get up on LinkedIn, typing a few cold words, looking for people in cities and states. Mm. They're throwing jobs at you. And you're telling me you're not on LinkedIn, but you're on Facebook every day, all day, tearing it up. I mean, it's, 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 it's focus. Where's your focus? 
But I'm sorry. Now I'm going back to question. I know I went on a rant. But about the funding, okay? The funding is if you got your paperwork. If I call you and I ask you, do you have QuickBooks? And you tell me no. I'm going to tell you to go connect it to your, to your debit card for your business. Boom, 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 done. If you have, right now, QuickBooks gives money. Uh, Stripe gives loans. PayPal's giving loans. Um, if you find a bank that has four or five branches or less, honey, they you're talking directly to the president. Like I went over here in Lakeway in Austin. It's a suburb of Austin. Mm-hmm. I went to this branch. There's only two branches. I just flipped the coin and went to the first one. It was closer. Went to it. I'm sitting there talking to the vice president. She's like, oh, who's going to come over here? I'm like, nobody. I looked your bank up. Okay, well, you might as well go ahead and talk to Fred. I go talk to Fred, the president of the bank who can issue that day $150,000 out. See, people are always looking for the Wachovias, the Bank of America. The Mm -hmm. uh, Wachovia don't exist no more, but you know what I mean? Wells Fargo, like the big name banks to give them money. You were just a number there. It's these small banks, these banks with ranchers down the street, you know, that really have true money. And if you kind of focus your attention there, I mean, the best thing I can give everybody, if you go Google in the top 100 credit unions and business banks in your state and then work down from number like 12 down, you'll probably get a lot of funding by the end of the year. Gems. That's a great tip. Right right. So people definitely paid attention to that, like for real. I know a lot of businesses that missed out on the EIDL uh, disaster loan grant just because they didn't have, you know, their business established. They didn't have paperwork. And it's crazy because there was some established business that couldn't even get any funding. But you have people finessing the system. Honey, (laughs) just $150,000. I'm like, and then I'm like, the, the you ever watch American Greed? I love that show because I watch it. And as a business person, I love it because I'm like, you 2% off. If you could just do right that 2%, you'd be legal, baby. Why? Yep. And it's just people greedy. That's all people greedy. So I watch the show and I go, it, it tell you what to watch out for and, and what you could do, <laughs> you know? Um, but it also watching American Greed these past couple of years has taught me that paperwork matters. Mm-hmm. You know, during the housing bus last time, people would have nice paperwork. They sent it off to banks in the middle of Kansas, middle of nowhere. And because the paperwork was nice, they were like, boom, stamp, here's some money. And, I, and so for me, I, what I learned out of all this is that if you can show people where their money's going, if they're investing with you, you can give them pictures, you can over communicate. People don't mind working with somebody who's open and honest. If you out here on the ground trying to stunt and have 27 cars, no, come see what the Ford Fiesta I drive. And and people be like, Erica, get a better car, man. I'm like, yo, millionaire without it. Why? <laughs> right? Uh, I know actual five millionaires right now. If you see they real cars, not the stuff they drive for the gram, you guys would laugh. I'm talking about a Honda CRV. One dude got a Ford. Uh, other dude got uh, a Mitsubishi Lancer. And you in your mind are like, oh, man, I bet they're stunting and driving amazing stuff. No, they're not. They're not. Mm-hmm. But, you know. That's that grand life. Yeah. I think I think when you get to a certain point, you just become used to the money. Like nothing really you don't you don't feel a need to like flaunt it. But when you had to when you have been forced to delay gratification because of your environment or you know the family you grew up in, it's like you you feel like you deserve all the luxury things. Mm-hmm. And not to say that you don't, but it has to be some element of delayed gratification till you get, you know, atop the peak to where it's like that's just a drop in the bucket. Or you have, you know, passive income or businesses or whatever that's paying for it rather than you using your earned income to, you know, splurge on yourself. You know, the craziest thing is I, I did all that traveling last year. I took all these pictures. I'm on the gram. 
it wasn't until my cousin saw an ad that was like, oh, look at you. And it wasn't until I went to our, so every year our family does um, Thanksgiving, like the day after Thanksgiving to like December 3rd. We would go on cruises every year for like the past 12, 15, well, about 15 years. Yeah. And we would go 30 people deep. Well, now, because, you know, the COVID, we done switched it to like, we just going to book up a, a beach house and everybody's going to come to these 18 room, 18 bathroom beach house. We go and I'm coming in the door with like $300, $400 of crab legs. They're like, oh my God, look at you. You done got some money. Now, y'all, come on now. I've been making money for about six years now. And they like, look at you. Finally got some money. Because people associate things, food, seafood, you know, black, whatever it is with actual money. They don't, they don't really like associate daily. You get it up living your life how you want. There's like six employees that show up every day to work for you. Like what? Like that doesn't compute as money. So they need, they want to see, they want to see like tangible things. Some crab legs. Bring the crab legs. Why do you think we've been conditioned to be like that though? And, and I'm going to be careful. I think honestly, it's like when you live in a society that's like ugly to you, you want to have good times with your family. Right. So there's an element of it that's not terrible, but in excess it is. Right. Mm-hmm. In the South, it's very popular to go to cookouts and people cooking good food. And, and even the term soul food, I, I get really angry when people from the North talk about soul food because they're incorrectly talking about it. In the South, you have a lot of people who work very hard menial jobs and they didn't eat a lot of meat during the week. You ate a lot of beans, greens, rice, very little meat. On Sunday, you had the chicken, you had the greens. But if you look at anybody below, I would say North Carolina, you're talking about leafy greens, you're talking about turnip greens, you're talking about field peas, you're talking about a variety of vegetables that when gone other places, they reduced it down to like collard greens and cabbage. Mm -hmm. Collard greens, cabbage, and macaroni and cheese. These are foods that were not in excess. These were Sunday rarities, right? That now is in excess and is now dangerous, right? Um, Even the get-togethers. I don't mind people and families getting together. I think that's a beautiful thing, but when every weekend all we do is get together, we don't talk about anything, we don't progress anywhere, we don't we just always partying every weekend. It's a, it's an excess. Mm-hmm. It's out of balance. So let's get into our last question. Cause I, mm-hmm. a lot of gems have been dropped. Let me let me tell you that. But I, we getting a little lengthy. So last question. Um, since success is so relative, and everyone kind of has their own definition of success, how do you define and measure success? Man, um, the best for me has been ever since my two nephews, my youngest, not my oldest, my brother is eight years older than me, have been born and alive. Me and his mother um, have owned businesses. I have a picture of one nephew sitting inside my coffee shop at like three, four years old, just sitting in a chair. Um, I have, and he remembers, you know, that place. Um, I have him working, my other nephew is, the older nephew is working for his grandfather at his tire shop and then goes to his father's other car mechanic shop. And then he goes over here across town to our other family's business. As long as I've been alive, they know it's possible. There is no excuse. Every level, every family, there's no excuse. Um, I think for me, true wealth is the ability in this this time, I don't I don't know the exact window, but to go sit down, have kids and still there be money coming in, right? Um, part of the Texas Ground Zero project I'm buying, I've hired staff to have be every level of management. So it isn't like, well, what did Miss Erica say? That's that's not wealth to me. Wealth to me is Miss Erica ain't even here. Mm. Her picture's on the wall somewhere, but she ain't even here. Like it's just 
racks on racks coming in and she's not even here. To me, that's real well. Yeah. Um, okay. taking family vacations just when we want to that's real well so. love it I love it so that's all we got so we would definitely want to thank you for coming on the show it's been a super dope conversation I know a lot of people they're going to find so many gems they like sister long winded up in here no tell us from the Carolina can you uh, tell the people where to find you so if you are looking for me on the interwebs, uh, it's going to be Erica Williams, Classy Climb blog, mostly on YouTube, over 1,900 videos out there. Uh, and also you can find me on Instagram at Erica's Classy Climb. You can find me on Twitter, cutting up occasionally at Erica Williams. Uh, and hopefully I'll see you in person sometime soon. Boat party. Right. right. Tell, us, tell us about the boat party, like any events you got coming up. like. So I made it a big thing of community. I feel like we're getting into a society where everybody's on the internet and they're mm -hmm. not meeting in real life and yeah. that can be dangerous. So I got really into uh, scotch and suits night where, where the men would dress up in suits and the ladies would wear a black dress and they'd go. And I said, why can't I have this at my event? Mm -hmm. I can. So I started just booking events where people could meet me in person. And some of my friends are like, oh, you ain't got to do that. And I go, I do it because I want to. Mm -hmm. Because I want to put a name to the face of people that are putting thousands of dollars in my pocket. Right. You know, there are people who are like, man, my husband been talking about you for four years. I had to meet you. You know, so you're, you're meeting people and you're in, interjected in their life. And so I start putting events together. So the boat party is an annual party where people come down, dinner's on me, wine's on me, hard liquor on you though, okay? Um, <laughs> then the next day they go get on a double-decker boat and travel around the water in Austin, Texas, and just see how beautiful that part of Austin is. Um, and it's a really great opportunity just to talk, communicate people. Last year, we had several people who left the boat party and started investing in real estate in Houston. And so I, I have a joy of like, people left there and like, go and do my business ideal or, or boom, I got to meet you in person after I've invested. Like there's some people who invested probably $150,000 in me and I've never met them in person. Mm -hmm. Never. And I'm always like, Hey, come to Texas, right. come visit me. I'll come to you. You know, <laughs> like, thanks for the money. <laughs> like, you know, it's one of those things. That's so powerful though. That is so powerful. This community. So cool. And for those who don't know, um, the Black Sea Summit is August 7th. 7th. So if you're in Houston, Texas, or, you know, you're willing to travel, come on out. It's a plethora of great speakers. I know Erica is going to be speaking. I know uh, Josh, the lifestyle, um, huge on stocks is going to be speaking. I think Xavier Miller and Deanna may be speaking as well. Uh, Asia so Selden. It's a, yeah, Aisha, Auntie Aisha. Oh, sorry, excuse me, Aisha. <laughs> like, every, it's, it's a it's a plethora of some really, really intelligent, you know, black professionals. So definitely come out if you can. I'll be there I'm trying to get Eugene to come on down. So hopefully he slides. So he's going to book that ticket. I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> but Erica, once again, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom and definitely looking forward to seeing you uh, in Texas in a couple of weeks. Listen, we'll be chopping it up in Houston. Enjoy the rest of your evening and thanks again.